Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're talking about dimensions of healing, dimensions of healing. We're looking at different ways that healing takes place, and this is especially germane in Indian country where people look holistically at the kind of things that we face in life. Someone who also has this holistic perspective is my guest. Her name is Joyce Ann Combs. Joyce Ann, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. Joyce Ann, you and I have had the privilege of meeting, but one of your highest credentials is you're a regular listener of American Indian Living. I want to thank you for that as we begin. Thank you. Yes, I've learned a lot, and I'll always, always appreciate your guests. So one of the things people ask us, the show goes out on, I mean, last count, it's somewhere around 200 stations across the country. Where are you typically listening to the show from? Uh, I'm in southern Virginia, Rocky Mount, Virginia, about a half an hour from Roanoke, Virginia. And any idea what the call letters of the station you listen in are, on are? Um, WFIJ. Okay, well, very good. And greetings to those others who are listening on WFIJ and other affiliates throughout the country. We've got you on the show, though, not because you're a regular listener. There's a lot of regular listeners, and people would say, well, why did you just pull someone who listens to the show on the air? You're more than someone who just listens to American Indian Living. You've been active in the public health arena. You're a registered nurse. You've got a master's in public health. And you've got an amazing story because, as you and I talked before the show, you've really grown as far as your vision for how you can help people with their health issues, haven't you? Yes, I have. And it has been a marvelous journey. I have learned so much, and I'm very excited about some of the results that I have seen. So let's start, you know, from the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background. Are you a native Virginian, or did you grow up somewhere else? I grew up in southern Illinois, Dr. DeRose, uh, a farm girl, and um, with many exciting experiences on the farm, uh, from tractors to horses. And um, it has just been wonderful to see in my life how God has uh, taken me from that farm all the way to different parts of the of the nation, a lot of growing and a lot of learning. Now, one of the things that I know a lot of First Nation peoples can relate to is growing up close to the land. So many of our listeners, they've grown up on reservations. They uh, may be engaged in indigenous agricultural pursuits that their forefathers had uh, used for centuries. Maybe they're in a more urban area. You really share that kind of background as well, right? So you grew up on the farm, but you've also been in some pretty big cities in the process of getting an education, haven't you? That that's that's right, Dr. DeRose. Um, big gardens my father had, and we were responsible for keeping all of the weeds out. And my mother did a lot of canning, and always loved those fresh vegetables. And that's right, from the farm to um, to New York, to California, where my job took me to different states, and and really uh, enjoyed it all. It's been a marvelous journey. So tell us, when did you first catch this vision of wanting to do something in the health arena? 
I'm sorry. So when did you first have the uh, the vision to become a nurse or become a health professional? Well, it began when I was very young. Um, I would find myself bandaging the legs of animals, and when birds would fall out of the tree, I would rush over to try to do what I could do to, to splint the leg or, or whatever. And from the time I was very young, I've always wanted to be a nurse, and um, I have been really, really blessed over the years to be able to be a part of helping people in nursing and then eventually into preventing disease, which was a, a real eye-opener eye for me. And it's been very, very, very special as I've worked with individuals. So, Joyce Ann, as you were growing up, were there other nurses around that inspired you to go into that career, or was it just something you heard about growing up and you said, boy, this is what I want to do? I don't remember really knowing anyone. Uh, my mother was a school teacher, and I think she expected me to be a school teacher and my sister. My sister went the education route, but from, from the time I can remember, I've always wanted to be a nurse, and the, the opportunity to help people and make a difference has always been very exciting for me. So you got your RN degree, and then did you go right into nursing practice? I really started out in a diploma program, Dr. DeRose, and from there uh, I was just so, so fulfilled with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Eventually, though, I found that I really wanted to make a difference. I wanted to give uh, a level of care that I didn't didn't seem to be prepared to give or, or, or looked around me and didn't see that happening, and I wanted to be a change agent. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that in order to do that, I would have to get a degree in nursing, and then perhaps I could make that happen. Okay. So did you do that initial nursing training there in southern Illinois? I did that in southern Indiana, mm -hmm. not, not too far from my home, uh, an hour or so. And then from there, um, I graduated and worked, um, and then because I wanted to know more about what was happening in nursing, a good friend of mine and I moved to the Yale Medical Center. Uh, at that time, it was cutting edge for nursing and nursing grand rounds, and we wanted to be there. So we moved from Illinois, uh, a big jump, to Connecticut, and we spent two years at the Yale Medical Center. Wow, so you moved up to New Haven, Connecticut at Yale University. That's right. And were you practicing nursing there, or were you actually we were, getting we further were, training? We were uh, there in just doing specialties. I was working in oncology, and uh, she was working in another area. We wanted to learn and grow and perhaps specialize. Wow. So you're getting a cutting-edge training on the job at uh, you know one of the top universities in the country. And uh, a lot of people would say, boy... You know, just stay put. You got a whole career for you at Yale, but your life seemed to take a different direction. What changed? Yes, it did. Um, I eventually moved back to the Midwest, worked at the Barnes Medical Center in St. Louis, and there I was introduced, and it was very, uh, um, very vague, but I was introduced to a concept of preventing disease. Mm. And that was very exciting for me. It was, um, I, in fact, it was a, in a journal. And it, it was like, this is what you are to do. Uh, you are to move in that direction. And so I began to look for a school where I could learn and grow and be able to help others and didn't know if that was going to take me across the, across the country to California. Wow. And I, 
I think if anyone is going to catch the vision for prevention, I mean, it would be someone working in oncology because you're doing cancer care, and uh, we've made great strides in treating cancer, but I think that's one of the diseases where everyone would say, no matter how good the treatment is, it's surely something better to prevent in the first place, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And it was very exciting for me to to understand that I could be a part of that kind of a movement in the lives of, of this special people. So let's put this in some um, temporal context, I mean, a time frame. When you went to get your MPH, around what years were you doing that? The years before I did my MPH. Yeah, so we're talking in the 90s, uh, the 80s, uh, you know, around 2000. I'm Just as far as the kind of what was happening in medicine, I'm trying to put my finger on the pulse of things. Yes, I see. Um, I was on the East Coast at Columbia Union College doing my BSN, and that was in the early 70s. Okay. And, uh, and then I went to Loma Linda around 74, 75, 76. Okay, so you were at Yale in the early 70s. I was at Yale, yes, very early, very early 70s. Okay, so for those listening, they might be saying, well, prevention, I mean, that's something we all talk about, but, you know, if you kind of put this in its context, just to give people a little bit of perspective, we talk a lot on our show, for example, about reversing chronic disease. People may have heard the name of Dean Ornish, who did a study in it was published in 1990, reversing heart disease. So that sounds like a long time ago today. But you talk back in the 70s. I mean, this was, it was in the 60s where um, Dr. Lester Breslow out in California published a study showing that lifestyle made a difference when it came to longevity. It just blew people out of their chairs, if you will. Yeah. So those of you that are listening, I mean, if you're 20, 30 years of age, you're saying, what are these guys talking about? We're helping you see that this prevention movement, you're talking with someone who was uh, involved kind of on the ground floor in Joyce Ann uh, Combs, who we have on our show today. So I'm enjoying this journey. So you basically go from Yale to Loma Linda University in Southern California. Have I got that right? Yes. uh, There was a space of time in there from Yale back to the Midwest to Barnes Medical Mm -hmm. Center and then back to the East Coast because that's when I got my BSN, and then from there, from Maryland, and then I went to California for the Masters in Public Health. Okay, thanks for not letting me truncate <laughs> that journey at all. So you're there at Loma Linda University. Now, some of my listeners may have heard me talk about my background, and I ended up on that same campus a little bit after you in 1980 is when I ended up there doing my medical oh. degree. And I later also got a, a master's in public health from Loma Linda. So basically, you're sharing with us um, this exciting journey where someone who's trained clinically, working in cutting-edge places. And by the way, if people don't know Barnes, I mean, that's another you know, leading medical center in the U.S. We heard about it plenty in medical school, a lot of research coming out of St. Louis. When you got out to Loma Linda, was it immediately the kind of training you thought you would be getting, or were you kind of surprise? What was that experience like? It was uh, it was amazing. I had a family issue, and so I didn't get out there as quickly as I thought because I was going to be working at the medical center, and I was going to be working intensive care and had to have a special orientation mm-hmm. in order to do that. I was going to do that on weekends while I was in school during the week, and because of a family issue, I arrived late, and I had to work at a local Loma Linda. It's a hospital there 
uh, in Loma Linda, and then I had to wait for the orientation to open up to work at the medical center. Uh, the education there was amazing, and, and then I learned so much working at the medical center as well. Uh, I did in- intensive care, and uh, I floated a lot. And um, so I was growing, I think, it, um, in both arenas, and it was a very, very amazing experience for me. I was very impressed at Loma Linda, the comprehensiveness and the opportunities um, to meet other students who were serious about their journey in prevention. And that all, it just rubbed off. It was a tremendous networking opportunity. So that was in the era, and just to kind of help our listeners and kind of refresh my own memory, the dean back then, was that Mervyn Harding? I'm sorry? Was Mervyn Harding the dean at Loma Linda at that time? He was. Yes, he was. So, a, tremendous, a tremendous leader. Yeah, so for those who don't know the name of Mervyn Harding, amazing guy. I mean, the guy had three doctorates, a doctorate yes. in, in medicine. I think he had a pharmacology doctorate from Stanford and a doctorate in public health from Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And, uh, but a very humble man and very dedicated to education. And I remember even in my days there on the Loma Linda campus, rubbing shoulders with Dr. Harding, even talking with him personally on occasion. And, uh, yeah, so you're in this uh, environment, kind of cutting-edge preventive medicine in the 70s, and you're catching a different vision for where you can go with your nursing and your medical career. Am I hearing that right? That's correct. And my advisor was Dr. Joyce Hopp, and she was absolutely, um, she was so, she was so, firm and focused on on a movement and making a difference, making an impact. At the same time, very practical and very easy to talk to and uh, was just full of, of wisdom uh, for taking the, the correct steps, the right direction to, to reach a goal. And you talk about an amazing teacher. Uh, Dr. Joyce Hopp was such a great teacher. Not only did she... Uh, train her students, but she uh, uh, trained her daughter so well that her daughter is now the dean of the School of Public Health there at Loma Linda. That's right, yes. I'm, I'm in touch and get all the information from the university. Yes, she is. Yeah, I was just at uh, the American Public Health Association meetings and was rubbing shoulders with her a few months ago. Yeah, we have to step away, though. So some of you might say, well, Dr. DeRose, we're glad that you're connecting with someone, you're uh, connecting with some of your roots, but what does all this have to do with us? In our next segment, as much as uh, hopefully you've enjoyed Joyce Ann's story, her life story, we're going to talk about some of the practical lessons she's learned, how she's translating them into practice, and what difference it makes in Indian country and beyond. Don't go away. We'll be back with more. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call one 800 775 hope that's 1-800-775-4673 we'll be right back after this this is betty white i know you don't need one more thing to worry about but listen high blood pressure can cause kidney damage blindness heart attack stroke and you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right one in seven adults has it but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked and you can treat it if it is too high So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. 
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with my guest, Joyce Ann Combs. Joyce Ann, you've been sharing your journey with us, and we promised our listeners that we'd start drawing some practical lessons from your journey. We're still only in the 70s. Here we are in uh, 2019 when we're doing this recording. But um, you learned a lot of things there at Loma Linda. Some of those things you're still using today as you work with patients and as you do health education. Give us some kind of take-home message, something that the listeners can say, wow, this is something practical I can do today. Well, you know, um, it comes to mind uh, a couple I worked with who both were challenged with weight loss um, and with diabetes, and uh, I was able to meet with them in their home, mm-hmm. which was uh, a setting that they were familiar with and they were comfortable with. And I met with them weekly uh, for about six, six, probably six months, four to six months. Wow. Um, and it was, yes, it was a very, and, and out of that, they, not only did they lose significant weight, he is he is no longer diabetic. Tremendous. Um, they have they they walk together. Um, the the meals in the house. They're both very much involved in those meals, and uh, I see them from time to time. And the husband reminds me of of the times that we that we met and how they took hold of the principles. They would walk, and it was very difficult for him at first because he had a lot of weight to lose. Mm-hmm. But he was consistent, he was dedicated, and it made sense to him. And from that, he is so excited about being off the medication and being able to move more freely. He continues to lose weight and um, and often reminds me of that. That's one situation that, and I, I really enjoy working with families. I, I think that because I get the cook involved 
They work together. So you've got the nutrition, you've got the exercise, which are two very important components in uh, in losing weight. I mean, it's such a tremendous message because what I hear you saying, Joyce Ann, is uh, if you're listening today to American Indian Living, it doesn't matter whether you're on a reservation, whether you live in an urban area, whether you're native or not. We have a lot of non-native listeners, if you're not aware. But if you're tuning in and you're saying, you know, it's just too hard. I mean, I've got these health issues. It's too hard to walk. Uh, It's just too difficult to eat the right kind of foods. What I hear you saying, Joyce Ann, is just do it, right? Just start moving in that direction, and things typically will get better as you embrace healthier lifestyle habits. Am I catching the message? Yes, yes. And that, uh, Dr. Rose, that being consistent, we know that the whole weight loss cycle is uh, we have those plateaus and, and the apostat that we have to deal with. And uh, I always encourage those whom I counsel, I let them know this is coming. You've made this changes. You have to be in control. I only not only share that with them, but also how they can impact their environment. How mm. the strength and the confidence they have to be, they have to have once they've made that decision to stand behind it, and they can not only gain from that, but they can also impact other members, perhaps family, friends, relatives. I mean, it's a powerful message, and I think basically what we're picking up on is, by all means, make this commitment today. If you know that there's something that needs to be different, catch Joyce Ann's enthusiasm and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I've been putting off getting more exercise. I've been putting off really learning some ways to prepare those indigenous foods that my grandmother used to eat. And I'm going to make a step in the right direction as far as my health. So, Joyce Ann, you're getting this training back in the 70s. You get your master's in public health degree. Where did you take that degree, and where did that degree take you? Well, it, initially it took me, um, I worked with an evangelistic team in Tennessee, um, and I was out in the community doing sickle cell testing and blood pressure testing, and we were we were doing some labs, and that was a that was a very exciting experience because we were out there where the action was. We were we were helping people at the point of need. That was what I did initially, and then from there I went into inner city work. Wow! Now you have roots in the African American community, right? Correct. And so you find yourself especially screening. I'm assuming African-American youth for sickle cell disease. Was that part yes. of what you were doing? Yes. That's correct. And for those who don't have those ethnic roots, they say, well, I've heard of sickle, c- you know, sickle cell anemia, but I don't know what it is. Why is it such a big deal? Can you just give us a quick uh, overview? Well, um, the important, one important thing for sickle cell is, is that individuals be tested, um, it is prominent in the African American community as as one of the communities, and if individuals would just do not seem to take that seriously, as a result, of if mom and dad both have the trait, then the child is most likely to have sickle cell anemia, and it is a very debilitating disease for very young people who are hospitalized often in lots of pain and. 
don't necessarily live long lives. So it can really impact the community. So basically, you're making a difference on the front lines. You're trying to identify people before they have. Sometimes people hear of these sickle cell crises, maybe end up in the hospital, yeah. serious complications. But you transition from that work to some other public health lines. Is is that right? Yes. From that, I, I did, did more inner city in the Detroit area. And there I had volunteers and offered um, health screening to individuals in the community. Uh, from there, I went into... Uh, hospital, I worked as the director of a health education department in a hospital uh, location and in Michigan. That was very, um, that was uh, different than what I had done. We served the community as well as employees, as well as patients. Um, And that was, again, different, very exciting, and and saw a lot of, uh, of individuals, of folks making changes in their lives and reaping from those. Well, let's narrow in on this whole screening dimension, because you've spoken about that in several contexts. You know, you were screening for sickle cell disease, then you were in Detroit, you were doing health screenings there, then you're working with this health education department. No doubt there were some screening activities. And let me bring this back to Indian country with just an illustration, uh, Joyce Ann. It was not all that long ago, just a few months back, that I was invited by a tribal um, health group out here in California to speak for a diabetes walk and diabetes event that they were having in their community. And at this event, they had a, a dinner prepared at, in conjunction with this, uh, this walk, but they also had screening activities. And one of the things they were testing was something called hemoglobin A1C. So they were doing free uh, testing. Why is screening so important? Because a lot of times people would say, oh, yeah, they, they do that at the tribal health center. Or, oh, yeah, I had a, uh, an auntie or an uncle that went over there, but I don't really need that because I'm fine. Tell us why we should all be serious about screening. Screening is the first step. And uh, with all of the programs that I've been involved with, when an individual sees themselves, they see the results of their own lab work. It is, it, it makes such an impact. And where I where I work now in an employee health clinic, when we do the labs and the employees come back in and say, "That's me, that's me," and then we offer that that way out, how they can. If they're already beginning to have difficulties, how they can back out of that, how they can reverse, how they can live above it. Even though they maybe have familial tendencies, that can be reversed and they can live above that. It's it's so exciting for people to see themselves and then they say, if that's me, I need to make a change. You know, what's so interesting about the whole topic of screening is for those of you listening to today's show... There would be no show today, no guest, Joyce Ann Combs, had not it been for a screening event because Joyce, just the, the background, you know this, Joyce Ann actually called one of the uh, the networks that airs uh, our show, American Indian Living, and someone from the network actually contacted me because you called in response to a show where we featured a Native American gentleman who had come to a screening we were doing, I think it was at the National Congress of American Indians, and had gotten so 
motivated by knowing his own blood pressure, that it was out of control, that he really got serious about getting his life back in order and uh, lost a considerable amount of weight and just turned his health around. That was really our point of contact, at least recently, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it was. Uh, I, I've, I've learned so much from your program. I don't, I don't want to miss one of them. <laughs> the real worry I have, I think we're actually recording this show while my show is airing in your community. Am I close to the, the correct airing schedule? Um, no, you're not on yet. Oh, okay, okay. So maybe we can do the interview, then you can listen to this week's episode. Right. <laughs> well, listen, you are listening to American Indian Living. My guest, Joyce Ann Combs, she's a registered nurse, but she's also a master's in public health degreed health professional who is making a difference in community health. We've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next segment. Joyce Ann has been working with a community initiative that I believe can make a difference throughout Indian country. You want to hear what she's doing, how it can make a difference, and what it can do for you, for your tribe, for your community. So do not go away. We will be right back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. More right after this. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose back with Joyce Ann Combs. 
We're talking about really a life journey for someone who has been making a difference in various dimensions of healing. First, as a nurse taking care of patients at the bedside, then working with whole health systems, uh, doing screenings in communities. And uh, where we left the story off, Joyce Ann, you were in Michigan, but as your life plays out, you're called back to Southern Illinois. Tell us what happened. Yes, I got the the news, the sad news, that my father had been diagnosed with cancer. And um, at that time, I was really headed toward getting a doctoral degree in the field and immediately changed those plans and moved to Southern Illinois, was able to secure a position there at Southern Illinois University and began to uh, take care of my father, uh, doctor's visits, etc. Now, Southern Illinois University, for a lot of people, is not on the same kind of radar screen with Yale University or Barnes, but SIU back at that time was a real leader in the wellness movement, wasn't it? That's correct. And, you know, you think that there's nothing special about hometown um, uh, activities and, and what's there, but uh, I did not know until I was being interviewed that it was probably one of the second or third in the nation uh, wellness centers on university campuses. It was very well known. So basically, you're getting experience there, but at the same time, you're being a caregiver, weren't you? Yes, um, I, I was. My mother uh, was excellent as she worked with my dad. Uh, I was able to support, as I mentioned, doctor's visits to make my dad feel as comfortable as he could, still as leader in the home. Um, that was very important. Um, and still being his daughter, making sure that even though I, I am a nurse and, and working with the illness side, I, I really, really strove to give him his respect and freedom still as my father. You know, I think that's one of the most challenging things when a child ends up helping to care for a parent. It's, uh, you know, it's very easy for kind of roles to, to flip and the child being more directive with the parent and frustrated that the parent isn't listening to them. I often hear those dynamics. Do, do you have some words of wisdom for some who might be listening in today, whether they're uh, from a very traditional Native culture, maybe they're in a more urban setting and traditional values don't really enter into the equation much in their home. What kind of lessons do you have for someone listening? Well, uh, for me, I'm a Christian, and there was a lot of prayer. It was very important to be upfront, to be communicative. Um, I would at times meet separately with my mother to discuss care, but we always involved my my father. Uh, we wanted him we wanted him to know, we wanted him to be comfortable and got his permission to talk with doctors and take the lead there. Um, it It is not easy. It's important that there be some respite. I encourage that as a nurse when I was working with, with a families and had to remember that for myself because I was so involved that I forgot that I needed to back off. I needed to take care of myself as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother and uh, other relatives helped me to remember that. 
that was very important. And then I had more to give my father. Wonderful. We need to move quickly because I promised our listeners that in this segment we would talk about some exciting community health work that you've been doing. And I know this is probably fast-forwarding the story a bit because from our discussions off-air, I know you ended up um, ultimately, I'm assuming, after your father's death, heading back to the East Coast for an academic position. Am I understanding that right? Yes, that's correct. And ultimately, you ended up in the town of Rocky Mount, Virginia. Yes. There in Rocky Mount, I actually had the privilege some years ago of visiting down there. One of the physicians who's been a guest on my show before, actually a few times, we've had Dr. John Kelly. Dr. Kelly was part of an interesting project there that you continue to this day, you and and your team. Tell us a bit about what's happening in Rocky Mount. Yes, it was um, probably about 12 years ago, Dr. DeRose, that we identified an area we were very interested in our church family, community input and um, making an impact to help prevent disease in our community. And Dr. John Kelly and his wife Sally had lived in this area in the past, and we got the news they were coming back. The church family really, really were, we were seriously looking for a place and found the bank. Um, and we had many, many members, even though it's a small church, who were very um, gifted with electronics and, and wiring. And, and so we were able to secure this uh, bank building and strip out and, and place in a store an area where we could have classes, and Dr. John Kelly and Sally were coming back to the area about that time, and we launched the CHIP program from that site, which was very, very exciting and very successful. And even though Dr. John and Sally have had to, uh, they took another position out west, we have continued that program. So let's see if we've got this picture straight. Now, I've been in that building, so I know what we're talking about. You you bought a bank building that had closed. Right. You developed it into a kind of a community health center, a health food store, and you're offering classes there. People are coming for the in, these intensive wellness classes. Some of the folks who are regular listeners to American Indian Living have heard of CHIP, it originally stood for the Coronary Health Improvement Project. Yes. They've rebranded it as the Complete Health Improvement Program, CHIP. And it's been been used throughout the world to try to help people improve their health. It's really a lifestyle-based program, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's very comprehensive, and we've had very positive input verbally but lifestyle-wise by individuals in our area. In fact, one of the individual participants early on in the program is a community leader in the Rocky Mount area, and she refers people to us all the time to our classes, and she herself has made significant lifestyle changes. That is fantastic. Now, it's an interesting aside here, but Dr. Kelly was with me probably about a month ago, we were meeting with some Native American leaders in Washington, D.C., and talking about different types of community health projects that might help in Indian country. That was what the discussion was. 
And Dr. Kelly was there because he still does a lot of work with the CHIP program. And there have been um, a number of people in Indian country who've expressed interest. I don't know personally of a tribe that has used CHIP. Now, hundreds of tribes, I don't know everything that goes on in Indian country. But I do know out here in California that there was a tribal consortium, a group of tribes that operate some health clinics out here that have been talking with Dr. Kelly. I don't know if they've finalized something or not at this point. But the whole point is, when we talk about a lifestyle curriculum, a lot of people say, well, this sounds, you know, is this is this uh, germane to Indian country? And the kind of feedback I'm getting from a lot of people throughout uh, tribal nations is yes, because it's encouraging things that indigenous peoples have done for years. Give us some examples of things that CHIP program encourages people to do. Well, it is such a comprehensive program, and any changes that that individuals make, that CHIP program from um, exercise to stress management to all the nutrition, of the facets of nutrition, and, and even though it may not speak directly to smoking, and in one aspect it does. I was just amazed that it touched the lives of so many people in so many different walks of life. They they found a place, they found a, a way to, to that this program can help me. There was, there was so much to it, but everybody found, like, that's for me, that's for me, and we still, even though we're not using the CHIP program per se, we're still using pieces of that program, and it's still impacting the lives of our residents. Well, let me just make an appeal here to our listeners, because I know this is such a need throughout all kinds of communities. In fact, I mentioned one uh, tribal health group out here in California. I'm going to be meeting with another one in just a couple of days, and they're interested in me working with them, helping them have some resources that they can use to do something just like you're talking about. There's a variety of programs that have a similar model as CHIP where they try to put tools in community members' hands. Some of those uh, are things we've developed with my team at Compass Health. So we have a, a blood pressure program, and we have a new program called 30 Days to Abundant Health. So we're going to be actually training some tribal leaders, some tribal health uh, educators to use these resources. But we're really talking about a very similar model. We're saying powerful things happen if we don't stop the health education process in the clinic. We, we don't stop it in the, uh, you know, with the community health worker, uh, the CHR, who's uh, maybe visiting in your home. We actually make it broader. We have people come together in community settings and do things in groups, because that's what you've been doing for a number of years now, haven't you? Yes, the group process is dynamic. And, uh, in fact, I did a stress management. It was holiday stress management. And I got information, in fact, from your program, a lady you had on your program, and I, I looked her up and got material from her. We use the small groups, and they are. They are powerful. They're dynamic. There's a lot of support uh, individuals find someone else in that group whom they can identify with and they can touch base with them outside the group so there's ongoing support. You know, one of the interesting things about Indian country is today we talk so much in, in public health circles 
about social connectedness and how important it is to be socially connected. So many of my listeners, if they're tuning in on a reservation, they're they're very connected. I mean, they 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 live around their aunts, their uncles, their cousins in that uh, that tribal setting. But many of our listeners are in urban settings. They may not know uh, many other Native Americans. They may not have access to Indian Health Service or other tribal health clinics, and they feel pretty disconnected. But the whole point is, whether you're connecting with other Native Americans, whether you're connecting with other people in the community, there's just a certain power that comes when you get more engaged with other people. We're going to step away just shortly, but before we do, we're going to talk in our next segment with Joyce Ann as we as we begin to wind up the show in our final segment. We're going to talk about some, some practical lessons about community engagement, and then you're going to hear about some new dimension of healing that Joyce Ann is involved with and how you can take advantage of that, whether it's a community health program or whether it's in your own home. I'm excited about these uh, various dimensions to healing and all of them illustrated in Joyce Ann Combs' life. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. One final segment, a lot of practical information that you don't want to miss right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. We are back with our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Joyce Ann Combs. Joyce Ann has been sharing with us what I find is an amazing journey, really, across the whole country. And we've got her back in Virginia, where she lives right now. Joyce Ann, you've been telling us about the power of group programs, and I was kind of echoing that. Tell us a story about how a support group helped someone in a real-life situation there in Rocky Mount, Virginia. We have the uh, those groups that uh, we meet uh, with in our programs and during our programs. And one particular program, uh, there was an individual who was really, really struggling with weight, with nutrition, with cooking, and just wasn't, just didn't seem to be getting it. Mm. And um, our registered dietitian, who is uh, is excellent and goes into homes, and she was sharing this with us. She actually went into the individual's home because they just didn't seem to be able to do it. And uh, I felt so close to the situation because she kept us updated. And the uh, incredible changes that happened when someone was actually cooking with her. And then I had a like experience and someone, I had them into my home and we made bread together. Mm. And that individual, just from that hands-on experience, that support, that connectedness, working together, she made incredible changes in her lifestyle. So that hands-on, that closeness, that being in a, a warm, supportive environment can make a great difference. I love this application because a lot of times I'll visit in tribal settings. I'm thinking of a tribe that I was visiting with. They had me give a presentation for their community, but they had a very active program with community health workers, or sometimes they're called community health representatives. But these people were going into the homes, and many tribes have programs like that. Others don't, and especially people that may be in a more urban area, they may feel more disconnected, but we're saying find ways that you can come together with people. They may all be Native community members. They may be tribal members. It may be a consortium. It may not even be folks from the same ethnic or racial backgrounds. It may be a very, very mixed group. But if you come together and you're going on a journey together to improve your health, powerful things can happen, can't they? Yes, and I've seen that. It just comes to my mind in the Stop Smoking programs that I've done and the bonding the support, even when there wasn't family support, that group support, we became a family to that individual and were able to uh, give them uh, a firm foundation and and the contacts during the day and the evening. Uh, they felt loved and they felt confident that they could reach their goal. This is tremendous. And I appreciate your emphasis on the the home visits, this personal contact, whether it's in the group or extending that into the homes. And you're not just speaking about this as a a public health professional who's run community programs. You actually also have background doing home health work and even working as a parish nurse, don't you? That's correct. And that home setting I've found to be a perfect environment for individuals. They're very different as a nurse in the hospital. They're very different. 
in that sterile environment, which is needed for them to heal. But when they get home, I found that that's when the healing really, really happens. Now, few people that I've met, Joyce Ann, have as varied a background as you do. I mean, you've you've been across the country. You've been in centers large and small. You've worked in acute care medicine. You've worked in public health. You've been in the inner city. Um, you've been in rural America. So you really have your finger on the pulse of a lot of things happening throughout the country. But right now, you shared something with me that's been happening recently where you have actually added a different dimension of healing to your work. And I would say to people in Indian country, this is not going to be surprising. But some other people will say, this is interesting. Tell us about this other dimension of healing that you're engaged with right now. The music. Yeah, yeah, we want to hear about it. July of 2017 was able to launch with the Lord's direction a vocal ministry called Grace Abounds Ministries. My mother was my first voice teacher, and over the years I've been singing and, and studying voice, and individuals would say, when are you going to do a CD? When are you going to start? And so I was impressed to do that, and we launched it then, the Lord and myself, and presently working on a CD. Uh, we have a couple of songs on YouTube and have a Facebook music page and working on a website. Okay, so Grace Abounds Ministries. Now, you've been sharing you know, your Christian faith. Many of my listeners are Christians. Others, um, they don't have warm feelings toward Christianity, but they appreciate people who are sharing good health information that you've been sharing. And so I'm sure they've been enjoying the dialogue, as I've been. Is it safe to say that if I go to this website, because I've not been there, if I go to Facebook and to your music page, is it going to be Christian or sacred music? Is that what I'm going to be hearing? It will be sacred music, contemporary, spiritual hymns. um, And I am working to finish a couple of songs that I'm writing but they are all—they're uh, all of the spiritual nature to to praise our Lord. Now, as a health professional, a public health professional, a registered nurse, you see music as having a hand in the healing process. Tell me about that connection. Um, yes, I do. In fact, Dr. DeRose, um, one of my home health patients, uh, I was coming in behind another nurse. And we were talking, and the uh, the patient mentioned their love for music. And so I just said to them that I enjoyed as well and do some singing. So before that visit was over, she actually had me singing a song to her. And she again found music as healing. And it was a very, very special uh, and blessed experience for me. And uh, when I would go to that home, that was expected. So here's the thing, and, and this is trying to make it practical to everybody tuning in today. Not everyone has the same musical tastes, but appropriate music has healing properties. It's actually been studied, and a lot of people say, well, what's appropriate, Dr. DeRose? We're not doing a music seminar in the next uh, two minutes, but the point is, evaluate your own self. Check your blood pressure before and after the music, 
if it's going up dramatically and you have high blood pressure, this is probably not appropriate music for your healing. So, Joyce Ann, if somebody wants to see if your music is good for their blood pressure, how can they check it out? On the YouTube, it would be it would be Grace Abounds Ministries, and then my name, Joyce Ann Combs, because there are other ministries with that same name. And also to find me on Facebook, it would be important to add my name. Okay, so let me see if I've got this. It's Grace Abounds Ministries, plural? Ministries, plural, yes. And then it's Joyce, J-O-Y-C-E, Ann, A-N-N? Yes. And then Combs, spell that for us. C-O-M-B as in boy, E-S. Okay, so Joyce Ann Combs. If I can remember, Grace Abounds Ministries, Joyce Ann Combs, and I'm fortunate I'm not driving right now. I'm sitting in the studio, so I've written that down. And when we finish up, I'm hoping to... uh, to check out that Facebook page. Joyce Ann, you have, I think, illustrated in an amazing way on this show dimensions of healing that I, I've had few people take us on such a comprehensive journey. So Joyce Ann, a lot of folks, they've been tuning in. They'd love to tap into your wisdom. Maybe they would uh, like to have a concert. Uh, I'm understanding that you're traveling doing that. How would someone get a hold of you? Really, the best way is via my email address, and I can give that to you. Please, what is that? Okay, that is N-U-R-S-E, nurse, J-A-C, 4-3, at yahoo.com. Okay, let me see if I've got this. So you're a nurse. That's easy, nurse. Yes. Your initials are J-A-C, Joyce and Combs. Right. So nurse J A C and then the number four three forty three. Yes. At Yahoo.com. That's it. Joyce Ann, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you, each one, for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. As always, we hope that today's broadcast has connected you with really traditional wisdom that Native Americans have valued for centuries, whether it's just getting more exercise, whether it's being more focused, just taking to heart that message of being disciplined in whatever area of life you know you need to change. Stick with it. Those are the words of Joyce Ann Combs, if she allows me to paraphrase her. Well, we have to run. Dr. David DeRose, as always, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.